Hello, hello, hello. This is Monica, and this is Remembering the Misremembered. You know, Disney has given us many child stars. Annette Funicello, Haley Mills, Britney Spears, Miley Cyrus, Orlando Brown, Kiki Palmer, and many more. And too often, these young celebrities have to deal with some very rough, even tragic things. Stardom isn't easy, but it's especially difficult for children. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the prototype that other Disney stars followed. He was the first Disney child star to rise, and his fall was beyond devastating. Bobby Driscoll. Bobby Driscoll was discovered when he was just five years old. At the age of nine, he was an established Disney actor, an Oscar winner at 12, and when he was 16, he was the voice of Peter Pan. He had worked with the likes of Alan Ladd, Ann Baxter, and Roy Rogers, to name a few, and he was the highest paid child star at one point. Then suddenly, it was all over. Hollywood, and Disney in particular, turned on him like an ingrown toenail for the unforgivable sin of simply growing up. It was an abandonment that he would never recover from. He slipped into obscurity, became addicted to drugs, and was dead by the time he was 31. So what happened? Robert Cletus Driscoll was born March 3, 1937, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. His father was Cletus Driscoll, an insulation salesman, and his mother, Isabel, was a school teacher. Bobby was their only child. Bobby spent his earliest years living in Des Moines before the family moved out to the West Coast for Cletus Driscoll's health. Doctors believed that California's warm climate would make Cletus's condition more manageable. When Bobby Driscoll was five years old, he was getting his hair cut by a barber who said that the cute, freckle-faced youngster should be in movies. The barber seemed to know a thing or two about who could be successful in movies, His son was an actor named Earl Cadle. Soon, Bobby and his parents met Earl, and plans were made to take Bobby to MGM for a screen test. Bobby auditioned and was cast in a bit part in Lost Angel, which starred child actress Margaret O'Brien, who was a top young performer at the time. The film was released when Bobby was six. From there, he was cast as a seven-year-old in the 1944 film The Fighting Sullivans, as Al Sullivan, the youngest of the Sullivan brothers. The film, which also starred Ann Baxter, was based on the true story of five brothers who were all killed aboard a ship during World War II. In the fall of 1944, Bobby signed with Disney. He and Luanna Patton were the first actors to be placed under contract by Walt Disney. Bobby was then cast as Johnny in 1946's Song of the South, a film that cleverly combines animation with live action and is now looked at with derision by some due to its racist characterizations. But the film turned Bobby Driscoll into a sensation. The song Zippity Doo Dah would go on to win an Academy Award for Best Original Song, and actor James Basquette won an Academy Honorary Award for his portrayal of the stereotypical Uncle Remus character. I don't think the Disney company was very proud of this film because you can't really find it now, but Zippity Doo Dah is still a recognizable tune. 
Bobby made some films for other companies like Universal, RKO, and Paramount like Sunny Dinner for a Soldier, The Big Bonanza, and From This Day Forward. Bobby co-starred with Luana Patton, Burl Ives, and Beulah Biondo in So Dear to My Heart. Bobby and Luana were dubbed Walt Disney's sweetheart team. In 1948, Bobby was in the film Melody Time, and he was loaned out for From This Day Forward, So Goes My Love, and If You Knew Susie. While Bobby was filming So Dear to My Heart, the Disney people noticed that Bobby had bruises on him, and he moved in with Luana Patton's family, although there are rumors that Bobby was actually living with someone else who we will talk about. Actor Russ Tamblin, who also began acting as a child and befriended Bobby, has claimed that Bobby had a very rough childhood and that he received severe beatings from his father. His parents would lock him in the closet, and he would be in that dark closet all night, now, this was the 1940s, so beating kids was pretty commonplace, and child actors were often beaten at the studios. Bobby admitted years later that he became cocky as a result of his early success and constantly hearing how adorable and cute and exceptional he was, and he was making more money than his parents and probably wasn't shy about reminding them of that fact. But it wasn't going to do to have bruised up Bobby on camera, so... He was moved away from his family throughout the shoot. After filming was completed, he was returned to his parents. In 1950, Bobby Driscoll was awarded the Academy Juvenile Award for Outstanding Performances in So Dear to My Heart and The Window. Bobby was 12 at the time and on top of his game. He starred in the classic film Treasure Island also. Keep in mind that Bobby Driscoll was an early Disney star, which means that he had a personal relationship with the man himself, Walt Disney. Walt Disney is a man with a mixed legacy. He was an animation genius, and I believe he was nominated for more Oscars than anybody in history. The mere mention of his name conjures up the beauty of top-notch animation, fantasy, and imagination. Disney films, Disneyland, and Disney World. He has been accused of being a racist, a Nazi, a homophobe, and a man who took credit for the work of others, among other things. It's been said that Walt's brother Roy Disney was the real brains for a lot of the company's success, but we hear very little about him. There are also those who say that he was just the opposite of these things. Talk that his interest in children was less than pure and that he was bathing his daughter religiously when she was as old as 12 also taints his memory. Needless to say, it's absolutely disgusting if true. Walt Disney established a very close relationship with Bobby Driscoll. Actor Burl Ives, who co-starred with Bobby and So Dear to My Heart, called the attention Disney heaped on Bobby excessive. An animator reported seeing a higher-up kissing Bobby on his face and on his lips. Actress Ruth Warwick, who played Bobby's mother in Song of the South, claimed that she witnessed a Disney executive inappropriately giving Bobby a wet, sloppy kiss on the lips. She didn't say if the executive, quote-unquote, was Walt Disney himself. Walt Disney was quoted as describing Bobby Driscoll as the living embodiment of his own youth. Walt saw Bobby as an extension of himself, and their identities became enmeshed. Bobby relished the attention. He saw Walt Disney as a father figure and Disney staff as family. I mentioned earlier how Bobby was having trouble at home and he was being abused during filming and moved in with Luana Patton's family during filming of So Dear to My Heart. But it has been alleged 
that Bobby actually lived with Walt Disney and his family, and that reports of him staying with the Patton family was some kind of cover-up. Walt Disney positioned himself as Uncle Walt to the young stars at Disney, fostering a family feeling. How sincere it all was is up for serious debate in light of what ended up happening. Bobby Driscoll was the highest paid child actor. At the beginning of his career, he started off making $250 a week for 13 weeks with 10 weeks guaranteed, and years after that, $500 per week. He was signed to a seven-year contract, which paid him $1,750 a week as a preteen. This was the most money that he would ever make throughout his time at Disney, even though his workload had lessened. And this was around the time that he won his Oscar when he was about 12. The highlight of Bobby's career would come when Bobby was cast as the voice of the boy who would never grow up, Peter Pan. Not only was Bobby's voice used to bring Peter Pan to life, animators incorporated Bobby's facial features and mannerisms, his upturned nose, his expressive eyebrows, his wrist movements. It was Bobby Driscoll made over. In retrospect, it looks like a very cruel manipulation of Bobby Driscoll because it was the last glory and the last professional triumph that he would ever know. Bobby was 16 years old now, and while he was off promoting Peter Pan, which ended up being a massive hit, Disney was making plans to get rid of him. While Disney didn't like Bobby Driscoll anymore, he no longer spoke of him positively at company meetings, and he absolutely hated hated the acne that puberty was peppering his face with. According to Walt Disney, Bobby Driscoll was no longer bankable, even as Peter Pan was taking the nation by storm. Bobby started hearing the rumors that Disney was planning to oust him. He tried to get information from staff members who had once he had once considered to be like family, but they refused to answer his questions. They wouldn't even speak to him. He wanted to talk to Uncle Walt personally, but that wasn't happening. He wasn't his uncle, at least not anymore. Bobby was basically told to get out and never come back. He was devastated, and when he broke down crying, security physically tossed him out. The plan to fire Bobby had been in place for a year, and it was hidden from him. Nobody considered his future or trained him in other areas of the business or the company. They could have prepared him during his last year with the company, but they got what they wanted from him, his youth, and flushed him like used toilet paper when he started showing signs of physical maturity. The acne story is not bought by most people. I mean, most people believe it was more to it. I mean, what is makeup for? There have been rumors that Howard Hughes, who hated kids almost as much as he hated black people, refused to work with Bobby when he took over RKO. Maybe he pressured Disney to get rid of Bobby if they wanted to do business with him. Or was it that Walt Disney had enjoyed a sexual relationship with Bobby Driscoll as a child and he aged out of it, allegedly? This is Hollywood, though, a.k.a. Pedoville, allegedly. We will probably never know for sure, but the word was put out that Bobby Driscoll and Disney had parted ways due to Bobby's extreme acne, which was a temporary problem. Bobby was just four years into the seven-year contract when his employment was terminated. The word going around about the acne ruined his reputation with other studios. Bobby didn't get a dime from Disney for their use of his likeness on Peter Pan merchandise either. Bobby's mother took him on auditions for roles that he hadn't a snowball's chance in hell of getting. She then enrolled him in a public high school rather than a studio school in an attempt to let him experience a normal life. 
Predictably, Bobby was beaten and bullied on a regular basis as his classmates constantly teased him over his Disney past and the roles he played, which would be less than cool to the, the average high school student. He was afraid all the time, according to what he said, and began using drugs <clears throat> in order to cope, specifically heroin, which he became pretty committed to. He was taken out of that school and enrolled at Hollywood Professional School, where he graduated in 1955. Bobby tried to distance himself from his Disney fame, calling himself Robert Driscoll. He still was able to find work as a teen and young adult, mainly on television, but he just had a hard time adjusting to being an adult once he became one. Childhood is what forms us, and Bobby's mind had been manipulated from an early age. Then the boom was lowered on him, which was psychologically devastating. In adulthood, he seemed to walk around with a permanent kick-me sign on his back, even past his lifetime, because his legacy has some real problems, which we will be discussing in a minute. But in 1956, Bobby was arrested for marijuana possession. This was at a time when such an arrest could end a career. The charge was later dropped. Late that year, 19-year-old Bobby ran off to Mexico with his girlfriend, Marilyn Jean Rush, and they were married despite the objections from their parents. A couple months later, the couple exchanged vows again. During the marriage, Bobby tried being normal, including briefly working as a salesman, which he said that he was no good at. The couple soon started a family, producing two daughters and one son. However, the stormy relationship fell apart with the two divorcing in 1960. Bobby was sentenced to the Narcotic Rehab Division of the California Institution for Men. I think this is the same place where there were no doctors and no nurses and no medical personnel of any kind. And the place had some barbaric practices that have since been outlawed. Bobby was very bitter about how his life and career had turned out. At one point, he was charged with disturbing the peace and assault with a deadly weapon after he assaulted somebody with a pistol who was making insulting remarks towards him. He talked about how he had gone from being, quote, carried on a silver platter, then dumped into the garbage, end of quote. Bobby moved to New York in 1965 in order to try his hand at performing on Broadway. That went nowhere, but he hooked up with Andy Warhol and became a part of the art community that was associated with him called The Factory. Some of his artwork would be displayed in exhibits. That same year, he made his last known film performance in an art film called Dirt. On March 30, 1968, Bobby Driscoll, Disney's first child star, was found dead by two children in an abandoned building on a dusty cot surrounded by beer bottles and religious tracks. He was four weeks past his 31st birthday. Nobody recognized him or knew who he was, and so nobody identified his body. He was buried in an unmarked mass grave in Potter's Field on Hart Island in a pauper's grave. His ca uh, cause of death was heart failure caused by advanced atherosclerosis, I think that's how you say that, brought on by his prolonged heroin use, though no heroin was found in his system. He might have been clean at the time of his death, but the damage was done. Perhaps his heart stopped working because it was broken. Towards the end of his life, he is said to have wanted to tell his story, which allegedly included stories of being molested as a child. He was in search of Truman Capote to help him write his autobiography, or so it's alleged. In 1969, as his father Cletus was dying, his mother Isabel started wondering where Bobby was. 
The two hadn't spoken in years, but she had hoped that father and son could see each other one more time before the father died, and she asked her son's former employer, Disney, the company, not Walt, he was, uh, I think he was already dead by that time, uh, for help in locating him. Ultimately, he was identified through fingerprints. Song of the South was re-released in 1971, and the press found out then that he had been dead for three years. Bobby Driscoll's name is on his father's gravestone in California, but Bobby's body remains on Hart Island. Any surviving family members who might want to visit him can't find exactly where his remains are on the island because the records were destroyed in a fire. The Oscar Bobby was awarded in 1950 also was destroyed in a fire. Worse than anything is the Disney Corporation's refusal to acknowledge the contributions of this legendary actor who helped to build the company as a Disney legend. Are they holding his drug use against him? Is an addiction a disease? Why isn't Bobby being given the grace that other addicts receive? What did Bobby Driscoll do that was so terrible that it's still okay, possibly even mandatory in some circles, to disrespect his name and pretend that he never existed? The most recent act of disrespect against the legacy of Bobby Driscoll involves Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Last year, Disney produced a Chippendale Rescue Ranger movie on the Disney Channel, villainizing Peter Pan and making him grow up only to destroy him. I've not seen this, but many people who are familiar with and remember Bobby Driscoll were deeply offended by it because it makes it seem like Disney is gleefully taking credit for destroying Bobby, and it does seem problematic. Bobby Driscoll deserved better from life. Um, he was thrown away like trash. And then after that, he ended up throwing himself away. But um, he deserves respect. Uh, he deserves to be seen as a, a Disney legend because he is a Disney legend. He helped to build that company. And um, he just has not been treated properly over the years. It's really a shame and it's really sad. But anyway, um, I guess that's the way the cookie crumbles for some people. Um, rest in peace, Bobby Driscoll. Um, this is my 72nd episode of Remembering the Misremembered. And um, I may be going into a subscription, um, having uh, my episodes by subscription only. Um, of course, I'll be letting everyone know if that's the case it would be cheap a cheap subscription only like 99 cents but uh, that might be a direction that I'll be heading in um, I appreciate the support that remembering the misremembered has received over the past two what two and a half years that I've been doing it um, I've really enjoyed it and I've appreciated as I say the, the support and um, the positive feedback that I've received but anyway I am Monica, this is Remembering the Misremembered, and I will see you soon.